You are listening to the Ontario Council for International Cooperation's Tapestry 2030 podcast series, focused on the future of international cooperation and global solidarity, and the partnerships needed for gender-transformative sustainable development. Sagoli, I'm Celeste Smith, and I'm the host of Cultural Seeds. I am an urban Indigenous farmer, educator, and founder of Cultural Seeds in Gagadigimigemik, We Will Plant Lodge. My grandmother Ethelyn was born on the Six Nations Reserve in so-called Canada. She was an orphan, so she was raised by her grandparents in a tiny tar paper shack. I'm not kidding. It was so cold in the winter my great-great-grandfather had to sleep beside the wood stove to keep them from freezing to death. She told me stories of the white people rations they received every month which kept them fat and lazy and dependent on the government because even though he was an accomplished farmer, her grandpa was not allowed to farm and compete with the settlers. Perhaps this is what eventually brought me to this work. Or perhaps it was because my grandmother was too scared to learn traditional Indian medicine because of her residential school abuse, which of course taught her everything she knew was dirty and bad, her words. Whatever it was, I'm here now, and I've made it my life's mission to fight against the racist colonial injustices my family and so many others have endured through promoting grassroots activism and local solutions. I'm working hard at building an agricultural rematriation project rooted in ancestral knowledge to bring back our food systems and food justice, a place where women and gender diverse folks can come to relearn ancestral traditional knowledge and reestablish the connection between our land and our food and our food and ourselves. I have always been acutely aware of my loss of cultural heritage and how the literal and cultural genocide of my people has affected both me and the world around me. I've traveled to universities, lodges, and kitchen tables, and I've heard the same thing. We need to go back to our roots, literally. This series will focus on some of the most pressing issues we are facing as Indigenous people and how we are defending and rebuilding our culture from the roots up. I will be sharing my thoughts on the subjects, but I will also be talking to some amazing folks, from sea keepers to land defenders to lawyers, and I'll be asking them how. How do we do this? After cultural genocide, how do we take back what was stolen, what was hidden, and what so many declared to be gone? We may not know the answer yet, but I do know one thing. We will find it together. I hope you will join me on this journey of reclamation, indigenous style. Nikaho, it is the right time. I'm often asked by settler folks, what does land mean to indigenous people? Why does it mean so much to us? Why are we willing to risk jail or even death to defend it? This is the part in the podcast where I remind you that I cannot and will not speak for all indigenous folks and that I can only speak for myself. So I can say for me that land holds the memory that everything is connected. The history of our relations, both good and bad, whether it's the escarpment scars created by a glacier one million years ago, or a blown mountaintop in Tennessee where coal is extracted. These are the indelible marks left by an interconnected web of systems that don't exist for each other, but nonetheless depend on each other, rely on each other, and their futures are intertwined. I speak about the connection and inherent responsibility in family. I talk about rocks as grandfathers and mountains as relatives. I ask them what they would ask a rock about what it had seen. 
and I sometimes tell them that I remember when I didn't know how to talk to them. When I was younger than I am now, in spirit and body, I was visiting a fly-in community in the far north as a part of a filmmaking journey. The community was just getting back on its feet after years of substance abuse and self-harm, and were helping the youth by documenting their stories. We also brought drums and cultural items to share. The teacher told me to look for the right rocks. He said they were round and of a certain size. He also said they would call out to me. I nodded and quite terrified, I walked out into the quarry to find my share of grandfather rocks. I had no idea what I was doing. I was wandering around a pit filled with rocks and trying to listen to them one by one. How would I know if it was a grandfather? What if it was a grandmother? A cousin? An auntie? What did they even sound like? And by the way, I'm not Cree. I don't speak Cree. Do they know I'm not Cree? Eventually, I found my share of rocks and tossed them in the truck with the others. He praised my finds with a smile and he reminded us young folks that rocks were the oldest living things on Earth. He told us that if we learned to listen, we could ask them questions and they would answer. Eventually, I found my share of rocks and tossed them in the truck with the others. He appraised my finds with a smile and he reminded us young folks that the rocks were the oldest living things. And he told us that if we learned to listen, we could ask them questions and they would answer. I remember thinking that I wanted to hear the rocks speak to me more than anything in the world. I couldn't quite hear them then, but I can hear them now. After years of study and prayer and decolonization of my Western trained mind, when settlers ask how I can do this, breathless, as if some honeyed wisdom is about to drop from my lips, I say one word, relationality. I tell them that I learned, or rather relearned, my relationship to rocks. This puzzles them, because the basis of Western society is about disconnect, and they've been taught alienation versus connection. And there is no relationship to anything without connection. On every level, Western knowledge systems gives us narratives of difference, difference and exclusion, how we are not the same. And not only are we not the same, how the differences between us are the most important things to value. Our difference and not our sameness is what's important, our individuality. We are taught that money is the thing that binds us together in our society, commodity. But money has no responsibilities to us. It is but a means to an end. Even gifts are commodities, trade. Gifts are given and then must be received. There is no such thing as a true gift in Western society, a gift freely given. So when we talk about rocks having spirit, or as being alive and literally our kin or being related to us, our grandfather, that level of relationality is alien to settlers. It is so strange and new. No wonder we don't understand each other. For most indigenous folks I know, land and food are connected because our families still get our food from the land in many ways. Whether it's fish or berries, harvesting food at certain times of the year is something we have always done and still do. Even the most urbanized indigenous folks will somehow get their hands on some wild blueberries or some white fish from an auntie or an uncle a few times a year, if they're lucky. We've been taught that the land provides everything we need to sustain ourselves and that organic, 
local, and low-impact food is good for our bodies. The separation of food and body is not as complete as it is with settlers. But even with this abundance, food insecurity is a huge problem in indigenous communities. But this is due to colonial oppression and not our natural food systems. Reclaiming those natural foodways are crucial to our health. We see this in study after study, declaring indigenous health to be some of the worst in the world. Our diabetes rates are so high in some communities that they have declared them an epidemic. This new way of eating and living is not good for us. And looking at the health of the nation as a whole, quite frankly, it's not good for anyone. I took a bioengineering course in college and the first thing I learned was the first product humans produced was beer. Right. Uh, sir, indigenous folks created corn from a blade of grass. Oh, we also created the potato. You know, I really can't express enough how paternalism irks me. White supremacy denigrates indigenous knowledge systems. We had medicine before our colonizers. It wasn't until the 1850s that there was a recognized medical system in Europe. I mean, come on. This is the same decade Europeans declared sex causes women to go insane. Land back isn't just about protesting the colonial model of land ownership, but it's also a call to action to our own communities to get back to the land and our original cultural teachings. One of the things I tried to teach settlers when they were protesting Haudenosaunee hunting access to Short Hills Provincial Park was that our people needed healing and the best way to do this was to get them out on the land as families. I was taught that it was the uncle's responsibility to teach your kids by taking them out deer hunting. This intergenerational bonding is so important to keep families strong and as our land disappears, so do our family ties. This is what cultural genocide means in reality, what it means on the ground. In our communities, our children are treated with respect, but also with agency. We know that they learn through experiences, so we let them control their own behavior through these experiences. Mistakes will be made and lessons learned. This way of child rearing does not produce over-controlled kids with no sense of purpose or responsibility. Our kids learn by observing and experiencing life's natural balance. This is why access to land is so important for our way of life. Many of our teachings take place while we are gathering food or in the garden and observing the world around us. Now agency also means choice. So if one does not take part, there are natural consequences. If you see human nature through a Western lens, you are either a naive child or a vile beast. And ultimately you need to be controlled by something. Whether it be a concept or another human, it comes from outside of oneself. Because human beings are not thought of as having agency. And this is a major part of how we see the world. Agency is within everything in creation, from a one-year-old child to the trees and the water. A tree has its own agency and also inherent responsibility. It talks to its relatives in the forest and it helps its community grow and prosper by making sure each nearby tree has enough to drink and eat. It also sends warning to others when pests are near and it times out when it sends out fruit and nuts for the benefit of all. This mutually beneficial dance of give and take is repeated everywhere in creation. The trees help each other because it's better to live in a strong unified group. Just as a thousand years ago, we saw our individual tribes as stronger as a united Haudenosaunee Confederacy. Five arrows bound together are stronger than one single arrow and cannot be broken. On a larger scale, our values can be seen in a new light. 
there is a new urgency to our reclamation efforts, the climate crisis. I've been told by many elders that the environmental disaster we're now witnessing is because of the natural consequences of not living in relationship with the land. We simply take too much and don't give enough back. This is a concept we learn as children. There's a lack of justice or balance, which is being reflected in the crisis we're now experiencing. The good news is we know how to fix it. Just start by giving back. Segmented societies make segmented people. In a world built to separate each other, we become separated from ourselves, people that are not whole. The search for that wholeness is an emptiness that I see over and over again in folks that are disconnected from the world, Indigenous and non-Indigenous alike. That is why many elders and knowledge holders I know get romanticized, because the worldview being presented is not seen as possible for folks raised in a Western-centric knowledge system, mostly because of the lack of respect or even acknowledgement for other knowledge systems, which is why we are constantly reminding folks about the Western superiority complex. There is a quote from the Marxist scholar Frederick Jameson. It is easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. When bound to thoughts of only what is possible, we will not fight to make what is now impossible possible. In short, Without an ability to imagine an alternative to our society's skewed system of relationality, we are doomed to relive and replicate the system, not just in our institutions, but within our very minds. The last place the colonizer leaves is the inside of our heads. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure to catch our next episode as we continue to share other stories from our OCIC membership community. The Ontario Council for International Cooperation is an expanding community of members working for global social justice, human dignity, and participation for all. Join us. Visit www.ocic.on.ca to learn more. Big thanks to our very talented team, head writer Alex Smith and lead editor Hunter Smith. And more thanks to our musical inspiration, Sacred. You can find her stuff on Spotify and iTunes. And get involved through her digital community on sacredmatriarch.com.